This is episode 18 of Small Business Rising. My name is Anna. And I am Marta Gabriela. In today's episode, we are hosting Paula Norhold, who established the Sanctuary House, a very special place hosting events geared towards supporting the mental well-being of foreigners here in Aarhus. The special thing about the Sanctuary House is that you get the experience of entering a home and being treated with the kind of hospitality that you get in a home. It is a warm and supportive environment, especially geared towards those who have a feeling of isolation and are looking for a community. Can I come? Yes, you can. Uh, sorry, Paula, you are the, <laughs> you are supposed to be the one who says if she can come or not. Can I come? Can you I are, come? You are very welcome. Okay. So. Are it's you feeling lonely and isolated? Unfortunately, it's the other way around. I feel overwhelmed. You know, I have two children and I live with Dave. So uh, <laughs> you can imagine that sometimes I need a sanctuary house when there is only me. Uh, do you have also that kind of offer? <laughs> yeah, I think this is a place that takes in every situation. So if you need to get away from it all, I think that's the space for you as well. Fantastic. So we're both coming. Yes. <laughs> oh my just God. Give us separate rooms. You just, you just missed the point, but okay. Uh, awesome to have you here. I'm really excited, Marta, to hear about this one. Yes, I am um, really happy to have you here in our studio, Paula. And I, I love your place. I so have, you've been there. I have been there without me, without you. Oh God, damn yes. it! She needed to run away from you. It's really interesting. Paula wrote me one day during summer. Marta, I have a feeling we should do an event together. I have this beautiful space, mm -hmm. and I just have a feeling. How about you come? We have a cup of coffee, and we talk about it. Mm -hmm. We we were m more or less Facebook friends. We've met each other just once before in a workshop. So that was like, I, I just read this message, I, you know, like, you know me. I'm like, sure, I'm coming. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm in Poland now. When I'm back in August, I'm going to come. Mm -hmm. Let's have a coffee and talk about it. And then I arrived to this amazing place. I could feel the energy already when I was entering uh, to the garden. I was like, wow, what is this place? And I'm not like a person that feels this kind of stuff yet, even though I would really like to. But in this space, I could feel it like right away and I enter and the house is stunning. Paula has put so much love, intention and energy to every single detail in that space. So just by being there, you're already in a very, very special place. And then we have indeed uh, collaborated and have had a few events already at Paula's uh, space. And I just think that that's the best space in Aarhus. That's the best space I have been in. Really? Yeah. Well, I, 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 I'm, I'm saying really because uh, Marta been to a lot of spaces, Paula. So you should actually <laughs> to a lot of spaces and places. You know, she's all over the space and place. No, but she, she's, she's. She actually even goes through different dimensions. Like yes, that. sometimes yeah. that yeah. that as well. But yeah. you know, she's out and about that little lady she's very uh, she's very uh, yeah you know you texted her she was like yeah I'm coming sure <laughs> no problem so uh, you have been into a lot of places like this in Orhus and if you are saying that this is the best one that is guys 
right here, right now, a true recommendation. And I actually am looking at your profile on Shop Vibes because I have made it personally, shopvibes.dk, uh, where we have an online directory for small businesses in uh, Denmark. And uh, those pictures that I have put on your profile first, I thought that those are stock pictures from Internet. No, they are the pictures of the space, right? Yes, that's my home. Oh, my goodness. Uh, then, yes, this might be indeed the I'm best. I'm intrigued. What is the name of I want to see the pictures. Okay, you have to go on shopvibes.dk. Shopvibes. Shopvibes. I heard about this before. <laughs> yes, you heard about this before. Yeah. And then uh, you can search for uh, the sanctuary house. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm checking it in. You can keep talking, guys. Uh, thank you, you Dave. Thank you. Yes. We will indeed. So, in general, I think that Anna and I have talked enough for now. <laughs> <laughs> now we can let you, Paula, talk a little bit. I think people are more excited to, to hear about you than about us. They hear about us a lot, don't they? Yeah, a little I bit. I agree. You know, especially when you are you know, in all those spaces, places and dimensions. <laughs> it's hard yes. to escape you, my dear. So, yeah. Paula... Tell me which color describes you best and why. Um, so I would say that color would be white because it's simple. I think I'm quite simple um, and uncomplicated. So white's a very clear color. I feel like I'm quite transparent. Um, yeah, it's, it very much represents my down-to-earth nature, my practical nature, um, and the fact that there's not a lot of complexity with me, really. I'm very much a very transparent type of uh, person. And I, I, I share very openly uh, any experiences I have. So, Yeah, and white is the color that encompasses all the colors with light, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Ah, okay. That was um, okay. Yes, okay. That was, uh, that was my energy and, you know, and the dimensions and stuff. Okay. For our listeners to get to know you a little bit better uh, from another perspective, tell us who did you want to become as a child? Well, I used to always say I wanted to be a journalist. Um, I never ended up in journalism, but I, did, I have done a lot of writing. So writing has been a passion and a gift. Um, I, w- I ended up in academia, ended up in a, with a humanities PhD. So I did a lot of writing on a very academic level, but I've never quite gone into journalistic writing. So, yeah, as a child, that was what I used to say. I'm going to be a journalist when I grow up. Mm. Interesting. I know some people here in the room that may have uh, had similar uh, wishes at some point in their life as well. Maybe, maybe not. I went to study journalism. Yeah. And look at what happened. (laughs) (laughs) The guitar one. Definitely. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So uh, I know because we have now talked several times, Paula, that you have done quite some interesting things in life. Mm. Tell me which were the three uh, professions you have enjoyed most in your life. Well, so back in Singapore, I also studied um, family therapy and I ended up working for the Department of Family Services, uh, which was a government job. So I had the chance to do family therapy work for two years and I handled over 400 cases uh, during that period. Wow. So I would say that was the happiest time of my life was when I was working in the social work profession, uh, a government profession where you really work with people who don't have a lot of resources and who have very dysfunctional situations. So that was a privilege. I almost used to feel like I would do that job for free. Mm-hmm. Um and I didn't realize how happy I was till I went on to, to go on to other things. So in Denmark, it was academia. That was the 
profession, lecturing, given classes to lecture, writing a dissertation. So everyone says, well, you're going one step higher. You're, you know, you're, you are, you're meeting your true potential. But I, never, I never was quite so happy in academia as I was when I was in the social work profession. So mm. I think that has influenced me a little bit. Um, and my last profession was that I moved to Saudi Arabia uh, six years ago. And I was in, in the beginning, I was teaching and I was lecturing. But at the end, I worked towards the building of the first women's department for Arla. I was involved in the first batch of women they brought in. And that was a great um, time to come back to the field, so to speak. So academia is very much like an ivory tower. And it felt really good to come back and work again with people. And they had stories and they had situations. And again, it was um, dealing and helping um, uh, people with little resources who want to do something. And you have the ability to help them towards that. So that was... So these are my three professions. Um, but I would say the very first profession um, was the most um, rewarding one. Well, I would say you have some more. I would also add being a cook... Being a cook, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I would uh, now add I'm being, uh, <laughs> being an entrepreneur, having uh, starting your own business uh, where you are building the community, and uh, so I would I would see that you have had some more, but definitely uh, a lot to learn about you from what you are saying about being a family therapist, and then coming back to this, what an experience helping to build the first women's department in Saudi Arabia. That must have been quite amazing uh, to do this kind of work. So what brought you to Denmark? Uh, I met my Danish husband in Singapore. So that's how I ended up in Denmark. It was never a plan for me uh, to come to Denmark. At that time, I had, my, I had done a scholarship in America. Um, I had my sights set on Britain. Uh, Denmark was never quite in the picture. I think back in Asia, um, it's seen as a very far away place in Scandinavia, um, mm. a very unknown place. So it was a surprise for me uh, to end up in Denmark. So it was love. We do get quite a lot of guests who end up in Denmark because of the because of falling in love and following their partner back to Denmark. And how did you feel here when you first arrived to Denmark? I think everything was new for me. Um, the The most profound experience was being under the family uh, reunification process. So that was quite unexpected for me. The amount of hoops you had to jump, you know, you have to learn the language. The rules get changed quite often. There was a lot of dialogue about immigrants. And at that time, I had the feeling that I was not really very welcome. The, the word Ulendinger for, for foreigners was not a positive word. So this was surprising given that uh, Thomas, my husband, was in Singapore, had a very different reception in Singapore as a highly educated foreigner. And I came in as a highly educated foreigner having a, a reverse experience. So I would say that I had a very challenging uh, first set of years uh, in, in Denmark. And, and on one hand, I worked very hard to get the opportunities that I got. So I was one of the first uh, internationals that started a PhD program. At that time, they only had Danish. It was a very traditional department. Um, so it was very exciting to be one of the first international PhDs. Um, but at the same time, I was grappling with the fact that the country wasn't really prepared yet. Um, for highly educated foreigners and had a different kind of dialogue surrounding that. Okay, so you did not feel very welcome 
No, not in the beginning. No. no. So how many, uh, how long ago was it that you actually arrived first time to Denmark? So that was 15 years ago. That was 15 years ago. And yes. how long did you stay in Denmark? I was here for six years. For six years. So tell us what happened. Why did you leave? So there came a period where I was graduating and I was offered a postdoc. And my husband at the same time was being offered something in Saudi Arabia. And I had, I had to make the decision. And I decided to leave Denmark, which was a huge thing for me to do um, because I wasn't very happy. And I think at that very last point when the offer was being given to me, um, I became very clear about it. I'm actually not feeling very happy in Denmark. And I, I, I think it would be better for me to go. I think I'll be happier. And everyone said, you know, you're going to Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. How is that possibly a happier place uh, from where you are? <laughs> so I was seen as very naive for that sort of thinking. And the six years I was in Saudi Arabia, I was very happy there. In fact, I was happier over there than I was in Denmark. And I experienced a greater sense of freedom there than I did in Denmark. So that's a very controversial thing to say because Riyadh is known as exactly. the place with the least freedom. Exactly. It sounds so counterintuitive what you are saying right now. Yeah. Okay. Can can you explain me the, the, the sense of freedom you had there, uh, there versus the sense of or actually lack of sense of freedom that you had in Denmark? Mm. Is it something more like a feeling or can you actually put a finger on it and say uh, it's because of that? I would say policies have a very strong uh, part of it as well. I mean, you come to Saudi Arabia and you don't get into an immediate... There was a lot of monitoring, I felt, in Denmark. When you come in and then you have, okay, you've got six modules that you have to pass. You have a social worker assigned to you that's going to check on how you are progressing. Um, how are you, what are you doing to show that you're integrating into the society? Mm-hmm. So that can have a counter effect on the, on the person that's arriving, getting such a surveillance and check on them. And then you go to a place like Saudi Arabia or a place like Singapore, like uh, other countries that you might arrive to as a highly educated foreigner or expatriate, and you don't get those that systems of checks and you don't mm-hmm. have that dialogue going on on the radio almost every other day or having to explain yourself. I, ha- I had this enormous sense of freedom. And I remember this is what I felt. I felt repressed by the policy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so coming there, I just felt normal again. You know, it felt... Free And so for a long time, I debated, should I write about this? Should I write about the experience of how it was like in Denmark versus here? How can I feel more freedom here? Is this something that will feed important information back to Denmark? But at the same time, I realized, I mean, I've I've been gone for six years. Denmark has changed a lot in that six years while I've been away. And they have reviewed that policy as well. They they have. And so when I came back, I started reviewing a lot of statistics. I wanted to understand. I was... There was a majority of people who left during the period I left. Uh, mm-hmm. 60% of highly educated foreigners leave Denmark. Only 40% stay. And all the things I experienced and all the reasons I gave is what is the reasons that they give for leaving. And then they started to review this very carefully and say, actually, this foreigners who are educated here bring in a lot of money to the country. We cannot alienate them. This is an issue that we're alienating them. Mm-hmm. So Denmark has actually gone through a shift during the period I've been away. So it's been refreshing for me to come back and see this is not the same Denmark that I started out in. This is a very different climate now where I'm in coming back. So this has mm-hmm. been also quite interesting for me. So you left to Riyadh. You yes. experienced a higher level of freedom than you have had uh, in Denmark. You did quite some fascinating work there uh, with establishing a first women's department. So 
what uh, what caused you to come back to the place where obviously you were not that happy in yeah. and fe- felt alienated and quite restrained? So what I've been doing is following um, Thomas. So it was him who had the opportunity in Saudi Arabia. That's how I ended up there. And it was him who then found another opportunity in Aarhus and informed me that uh, he wanted to come back. And so I returned with him uh, to Denmark. And I really started wondering about the significance of this uh, full circle that I had made because I had left and had made my peace with that. I was very happy where I was. Uh, And I was devastated when I was first told that I had to go back to Denmark because I had the idea I was moving on to other countries maybe. But I never expected that we'd be back to the same city where I had left everything. You know, I had left my postdoc position. I had sold my house. I had, I had, I had finished that chapter in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, for the first year when I was back, I really thought about there must be a reason why I'm back. There must be something I'm supposed to do here. And the first thing I did was I wrote to all the think tanks to say I'm very interested to talk about the topic of um, immigrants who are so unhappy that they left. Um, I would like to do more work on this or research on this or or shed light on this because there's a phenomenon here. The phenomenon still remains that um, immigrants in Denmark have a more challenging uh, experience than you would find in other um, countries. So if you look at expat surveys, you'll find that. So there's a there's a professor here now called Anatoly Kantir who we have him as a guest. <laughs> yes, so he says that unhappiest expatriates are in the happiest country in the world. So yes. he has the statistics on that as well. So I've been working very hard to gather as much information on this phenomenon as well. And this is this deeply interests uh, me. To talk about. So I think this is the way I can contribute because I was one of those who left. It just so happened that I came back. Um, mm-hmm. So how can I then use that experience to contribute to to this uh, subject? So that Denmark doesn't lose more people, you know. Um, someone like me could be very, um, could contribute so much. It's mm-hmm. just a matter of why, uh, why are immigrants feeling isolated or lonely and not feeling like they belong um, this is the, the subject that they will have to look into. But it, it, it is, I mean, for me, I didn't come as a, I came through the EU, so I didn't need to go through the same thing that you went through. Mm-hmm. But it's the same feeling. Mm-hmm. It is the same feeling that, they, I mean, I went to England many years ago to live. I lived 18 years in England, never had a problem. I felt it wasn't, it wasn't even an issue. You just got there, got a job, start doing things, and you were part of the community. You were part, nobody kind of like, here it was a whole, a whole, like, it, it feels that it's kind of impossible to reach the point that, that you know, you're going to get to be as normal as everyone else. Yeah. That That's the feeling that they give you, you know, mm-hmm. with all this. And I didn't come here at that point. I came here six years ago, seven years ago, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So around the same time when you came back, Paula, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You mm-hmm. came back like six years ago? To no, I, mm-hmm. I've written two years ago. Two ah, years ago, just two yeah. years ago. Okay. Yes. Okay. But for, for me, it was shocking. Okay. I was shocked because yeah. I'd been living nearly 20 years in, in, in Europe, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was shocking to be under that sort of... And it wasn't necessary that it was a process of integration because I didn't need to go through the integration process that, you know, you will go if you weren't and through the non-European thing. But still, you know, in your language and uh, learning Danish, you couldn't get help from the state. You couldn't work. They took forever. How and many uh, How many months were you waiting for your CPR? I was for? waiting for a year, over a year and a half. Over a year in a, and a half. 
when with they no social security number, without which, technically speaking, right now you cannot get a job. You cannot basically do anything without your CPR. And I actually, I have to say, I've heard those stories many times. We talked with, uh, one time we talked with a woman who came here after her Danish husband and she was Argentinian and she was waiting, I think, a year from her CPR. And uh, because there were a lot of different circumstances and mistakes on the system side, I remember she told us a story. Uh, no, it was her husband who told us the story that uh, when she was pregnant with their child, it was December. It was, I think, a day before Christmas. The police came to their house and said that she needs to leave a, hun a country. Mm -hmm. She has a week. Mm -hmm. because uh, her papers didn't went through and she didn't got her CPR and her status and she needs to leave and she's seven months pregnant and it's a day before Christmas. So, of course, uh, this couple went through a lot and he was telling us and he's a Dane. He had to prove he's a Dane again when he came back because he was living, I think, for uh, several years in uh, Caribbean. Uh, no, 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 Jesus, not Caribbean. They were living in... Uh, I don't remember. I don't remember exactly. I don't remember where they were living. He had to prove he's a Dane again. Yeah, but that he happened to, to my my ex-wife as well. Yes, she had to take tests and tests, and a so it's it's not only it it looks like actually Danes are punished for marrying foreigners that are from outside of European Union because he had to prove he's Danish enough. And after he proved his Danish enough by a knowledge test and a language test, he got some kind of uh, help from the government. But her case was stuck for almost a year and she was expecting a child. And the reason why they came here was because they were planning for a child and they heard so many great things about Denmark being such a friendly place for mothers, you know, which we actually can confirm. It is very, once you're in a system, it's a great place to raise children. So the decision to move was caused by the fact that they wanted to raise a child in a in a safe and friendly country. And it it was uh, it was quite a dreadful story because he actually took to court Comune and and some government uh, units responsible for the integration, they have discovered so many mistakes and malpractice in handling her case and of course they won. And you know, they are here. But the stress and the entire process, you know, made them very bitter. I remember uh, talking with him. He, he was a restaurant owner. Unfortunately, they had to close down. And he was saying that this was probably one of the worst experiences of his life. First of all, he's a Dane and he cannot stay here. He needs to prove that he has a right to stay here. And then the way his wife was treated and his unborn son at that point. So I can completely, although I'm from European Union, just like Marta, we are Polish. We never had to go through that kind of uh, obstacles. Because you study here as well. We also, yes. Education, but so. by, by being just in Europe, European Union, you have a status of you can basically stay here and you get the CPR number. It's actually quite fast. But uh, once you're from outside, actually from outside of Schengen, you're kind of screwed, if I'm to be honest. You know, it's like every single time I talk with uh, any of my friends that are from outside of European Union and are here, for instance, married to Danes. They are all dreading for the moment when they have to reapply for visa. Mm. This is insane. Having children here, having, you know, so 
I do believe that the law has changed and got improved. But unfortunately, the problem is still here. And here comes you, Paula. So I'm actually very excited to hear what will happen more. Mm -hmm. Sorry for adding this, but I just wanted to tell you that even if we with Marta, necess not necessarily are Marta, but Marta, you have a husband from outside of European Union. So but I think I'm like the rarest case scenario ever where my non-European husband was the reason why we came to Denmark. Yeah. And he was super welcome. He has never had any problem to, rea to reapply for anything. How many mm -hmm. years ago was that? Uh, we came, well, he first came 18 years ago. Uh, as a, for an exchange to work in a Danish company and then we came back 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. But there is, a, there is one rare scenario where you have the skills that are missing in Denmark. Mm -hmm. If you're that person whose skills are missing in Denmark and they are the ones who want to get you in, then it's a different story. It's a different story. Yeah, yeah because that, that's what happened. Mm -hmm. He was headhunted by a Danish company to come here so they t took care of his visa mm -hmm. and he just got it and it was he just needed to send some papers it was automatically uh, it was act automatically renovated how and so funny on. The how that works eh? <laughs> yeah so the I, i'm probably the rarest scenario rarest case scenario because everyone else who i hear from outside of eu mm -hmm. has had a really difficult uh, time getting here uh, integrating here my husband he he for many years, didn't speak any Danish whatsoever. He didn't have time to study because he was working a lot and traveling a lot and so on. But he has had no problems whatsoever mm. uh, with Denmark and integrating and being here and so on in that sense, on, in the official sense. And he even uh, recently we read in October, he even got his citizenship <laughs> now. Oh, what? Uh, Another one. <laughs> <laughs> Another one. <laughs> Another one. <laughs> so uh, I, we have a very different experience. I was the EU wife coming along that struggled with integration a lot. Uh, had a extremely hard time getting a job mm -hmm. uh, also being highly educated and so on but uh, my husband uh, no no problem um, although I, did, I, I didn't feel that i had a problem integrating in society i never did i didn't i felt that i fed i i i fed fine with the people that was around me it was just this constant you 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 know wall of fighting that you needed to have in front of you and on top of that it was the fact that i was i was i did have higher education but you know i was very good at my job in england which was in hospitality in, in and here it didn't mean anything you know yeah. I, I, I couldn't land a, a job watching dishes in a restaurant mm, yeah. so it wasn't only the fight against the system but it was that other fight as well that it was it's still you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> suddenly feel. your skills I'm, and I'm your education doesn't matter if you obtain it in, from outside of the union yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So it yeah, is it is something that is is, is a strong i mean imagine coming from england england is a you know it's a very developed country mm. and you you expect sort of the same sort of and you go not even in chile i mean I, i'm guessing what you were saying about saudi, saudi arabia in chile if you're a foreigner they treat you sort of all right and you know nobody mm. sort of pressuring the police doesn't go and get you out of your house yeah, yeah. well we we have had quite a lot of conversation about it yes in uh, in our other podcast you've got five options and i would just like to smoothly steer it back to that uh, the so sanctuary smooth. house because <laughs> yes. we are almost half an hour in the show yeah. and we haven't even yet touched upon the sanctuary house so 
Um, you, you've mentioned that you came here two years ago. The first yes. year you took uh, in this inner search, finding out why am I back here? Exactly. There yes. must be some reason why I came back here. And, um, and what was that reason? <laughs> what did you, uh, well, what did you found? Very smooth, what did you Martha, find very smooth. <laughs> well, I bought a house and it was a very special house. And it's a house that I was building for myself. Um, It's my new home in, in Denmark, my new home in Aarhus. It was a, it's a beautiful house. It's got these beautiful windows. Uh, it was a, a safe space for me to feel like if the outside world was being difficult, I had my space to come into. Mm -hmm. So it was my beautiful uh, sanctuary. And, but I had this idea of inviting uh, people into the space because it's, I've got this very large hall Um, that's perfect for events. So I started thinking about making an event house um, and inviting in um, foreigners who might feel very lonely and isolated because I remember the loneliness and isolation I went through six years as a student. And I wished that I had built more of a community, um, that I had more friends. I think that would have helped me better back then. I didn't see the importance of it till I left and reflected on my own experiences. Mm -hmm. So this is what I'm trying to do. Um, I'm, I'm looking at the mental well-being of uh, people here, the ones who don't get as much support, who need friends, who need a sense of support. And I would like, my, I would like to invite them into my home. I would like to treat them with all the hospitality to make them feel welcome and at home in a place where other people are also facing the same and we are forming a supportive environment. I think that's, that's, that's my goal uh, with Sanctuary House. So this is my little project, uh, mm -hmm. my passion project, basically. Mm -hmm. So the way I hear it is you came to a country where you didn't really like being in. You felt kind of forced into coming back to Denmark. You didn't know and ha had a hard time finding out why are you back here. Mm -hmm. And then the house happened. Mm -hmm. You stumbled upon this house right. and you started building it with, as far as I remember, you've mentioned it with very strong intention. Yes, But I have to say, I can't say I didn't like being in Denmark because if I think about this, um, I was given every opportunity in Denmark. Um, firstly, landing a PhD, that was a huge opportunity. I was being sent to Cambridge, I was being sent abroad on, on very well-funded uh, research trips. I was given every opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, and, but there was also me, there was funny because on one hand I'm getting all the opportunities, but then I'm also dealing with family reunification, which I found a demeaning process coming from where I came from. And uh, Singapore is uh, uh, a very successful uh, country with a very high GDP, higher than Denmark. So being treated that way was uncomfortable for me. And there was even a period where I was even thrown out of the country for a very silly reason of breaking family reunification. So I was sent by the university to Malaysia because I was supposed to research on tiger economies. And within two months, I get a letter saying, well, you've broke family reunification. You're not staying with your husband. So you're no longer uh, allowed to come back. You're done. We're finished. And of course, the university stood up in retaliation and said, that's completely ridiculous. And it was all laughed away, but it, it, it impacted me. Because I had worked very hard also and jumped all the hoops they wanted me to jump. And when something like that happens, you can laugh it away and say that's a silly part of the system, but it stays with you. And I don't think I'm the only one facing this. And I think there's a lot that of, of foreigners that go through this. And so I wanted this house also to be a place where you can come and talk about that. How does that make you feel? Um, 
you know, you are applauded on one hand to be a talented member of society deserving of all the opportunities. And in two seconds flat, they can throw you out as well. You know, it's a, it's a very uncomfortable feeling when you don't understand your future in a country that welcomes you and yet not welcomes you. Uh, it's a very strange phenomenon here in, in Denmark. And, and, and so on one hand, yeah, I really would like to hear the experiences of others. And I think that's one of the reasons why I'm opening my house the way I am. Um, to get people talking and sharing. Um, and I think it's very difficult being married to a Dane. As you say, Danes are a tribe. Um, and you come in as a wife, the foreign wife, and you enter their tribe. Um, yeah. It is an extremely arduous process, one that I was not prepared for. Um, and it's taken me many years to build a lot of wisdom about that. But there may be new arrivals coming in that are completely shell-shocked by the experience and go, okay, I didn't expect this because I have been there. Um, yeah. All right. Thank you for sharing. Uh, we will get much more into the Sanctuary House, its purpose and so on after our musical break. Uh, yeah. And, uh, Is that the time? Yes. So today I will be singing. <coughs> <laughs> I'm joking. You don't, wa you don't want to hear I can that. sing. I'm planning on a side Christmas. <laughs> he found yeah. this compilation of songs with the with the lyrics that are m messed, so they uh, reflect the Corona Christmas, and he's obsessed with that. So, yeah. no, it's not the song. Sanitizers coming <laughs> to town. Yes. Well, at Sorry. least you can sing, Dave. <laughs> At yeah, well, I'm, you know, listen, I'm doing things that make me happy. Yes. That's the most important. Yeah. So yeah. if you smiled during this uh, wonderful uh, rendition of uh, Santa sanitizers coming to town, then the mission is accomplished. But we will listen to Bound to Break. Yeah, Jonas Panico. Yes. was never meant to be But she left my broken eye floating in a porcelain sea And the silence was deafening After all the plates had fell Silence was deafening And it keeps on ringing still Silence is deafening There's no way to drown it out We fell in love, we fell in now there is nothing left Cause she cared what she couldn't sell Pretty little flower on the porcelain and pieces Cut myself so deep, never thought she would be the reason Everything's bound to break Everything's bound to break Everything's bound to break Everything's bound to break Swimming in the sea of shots Got myself on every piece Swimming all my heart has drowned Wish my soul would feel at ease 
And the silence was deafening After all the planes had fell Silence was deafening And it keeps on ringing still Silence is deafening There's no way to drown it out We fell in love, we fell apart Now there is nothing left Cause she kept what she couldn't sell Jonas for this beautiful song uh, Anna and I recently met Jonas um, yes uh, in, like in the real life for uh, a little nachos and wine uh, and we uh, we intend to bring him to one of our shows at some point and yes and actually artist and actually Jonas has uh, applied for Eurovision um, contest contest yes he uh, not this is not the song uh, it's another song Jonas has applied with a Eurovision song And I believe they are about to get results soon, right? Because there will be the the qualifiers in Denmark and in other countries soon. So we wish you all the luck, Jonas. We hope that you will make it. Yes, we I want to meet him. Yes, yes, you will. We will bring him here. I want to yes. make some music, man. Yes. Okay. So okay. you can also bring him to your studio. But now coming back to the Sanctuary House, my yes. favorite place in uh, Aarhus. Uh, I apologize to my own house <laughs> for saying that. <laughs> you should. Uh, but uh, now I'm getting a new house, so maybe... I mm-hmm. can have some competition for... No, I don't think I can go into competition. I'm just looking at the pictures. I'm like, no, I don't think I can make it. But any, yeah. anyhow, I love the space. So, Paula, remind us, please, what's the purpose of the Sanctuary House? So I'm holding it as an event house, and I want to give opportunities to other um, trailing spouses or foreign spouses uh, in Aarhus. So I have uh, a beautiful Polish um, friend, who has been on this podcast, Katerina. Mm. And she has... Yeah. So I, she's I have, lovely. Yes, she's wonderful. And I, I'm actually personally scouting out those very special people. And she's one of those very special people that I have invited into the space to have meditation um, sessions. And I also have met another uh, woman um, who can offer yoga lessons. And she's just started uh, in, in her practice uh, of offering yoga classes. Um, so, and her name is Flora. So we are also looking into something like that. I have to figure out how to 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 arrange the space for that. 
but I, I look for giving opportunities to others as well. So I, I would like to be a vessel that can also elevate um, the careers of other spouses who have gone on on their own to say, well, I can do this and I can do that. And that will better the lives of people here. I think I can contribute in this way. So my my contribution would be the food. So some of you may know I'm a very avid uh, cook. I have a little blog called The Asian Cook in Denmark Ooh. where I show my little hobby. It's a hobby and a passion. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I do is apart from offering the space, I also offer either I make a lunch uh, tailored to what they would like or I make things like uh, a warm and healing chai um, something something wonderful something that you don't find in Aarhus normally something that will lead you on a bit of a cultural journey because food is my way of um, showcasing where I come from I come from this food paradise in Asia um, and so when I am cooking for myself it eases my homesickness and I think that that uh, when people come in and they smell the spices and they get to experience something different, that's that's enjoyable, you know. That's a little getaway from regular, you know, life uh, in a sense. When you come into a person's home and you experience their culture, um, and so so this is what I'm doing right now with Century House. It's very much a vessel for other um, foreigners as well, not just my own events, but I hold events. Um, for others who want to come in and want to do something that's related towards um, elevating the mental well-being of foreigners in general uh, here. And I can't say just foreigners. I'm opening the the events to Danes as well. They're very welcome to come in. Um, It's public events that I'm going to be holding. And there is no reunification process for Danes to come, right? (laughs) (laughs) Very good. I'm looking at at those dumplings, darling. (laughs) That's the way. Yeah, we just just Googled your uh, Asian cook in Denmark. Uh, I'm on the Facebook page. Uh, So I have a question. Can you adopt me? I would love to. Thank you. Thank you, <laughs> Dave. I'm leaving the family. <laughs> uh, I'm going to be adopted by Paula and we will we will sit in her lovely house and I will eat dumplings. We'll, you can we'll, visit. We will miss you. <laughs> I just wanted to tell you that uh, now that I have um, had a few events together with Paula, both in the sanctuary house and outside the sanctuary house where Paula was cooking, I tell you that it's an absolute amazing and beautiful experience to eat Paula's food. I have not experienced something like that in my life. And I have traveled. I have been to places. I have been to spaces. and these, To another dimension. And uh, only once to another dimension, but yes. So I really want to recommend from the deepest of my heart that food is so soulful. I was literally humming when I tried the first taste of Paula's food. I was like, mmm. <laughs> and the guys sitting around me, they were laughing at me. They were like, you're enjoying that, Marta, huh? But they were just in a moment, they were themselves like, mmm. So, so deeply recommended. Like, I could not recommend something more than Paula's food and Paula's space. Really. Really, really. <laughs> okay, I, I can see you're very convinced and we are very convinced so as well. Tomorrow, but you know, we are our plans tomorrow. We will <laughs> yeah, go Marta, to we are Marta. not going to visit you anymore. I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> we are, uh, we, we have, uh, Thank yeah. Thank you, Marta, for the advice. <laughs> uh, yes. But I, I have a question, ladies. Uh, what kind of events were you organizing just to give our listeners uh, an idea? Because we, we've heard about yoga, we've heard about meditation. What events were you organizing together? Going to another dimension event. No, <laughs> 
Hey, I got, I got, I got the special powder. That's, that's, that's the event, weird. That's a good event, Marteczka. Um, we, uh, we, what we organized together in the Sanctuary House uh, was a get-together for a very private, secret community that we cannot tell you what that community is because it's super secret. And that will sell the place <laughs> to the listeners. <laughs> this sounds like a 12-year-old. <laughs> okay. You cannot go to my clubhouse. No, it's our treehouse. <laughs> and uh, yeah. then I had Paula joining a workshop on Samsu, and she was uh, doing some conscious cooking mm. there for the workshop. So, um, yes. Coming back to uh, coming back to my questions, I have a whole list of questions still, and I don't know how much time we have left because uh, Dave is uh, into Paula's blog. I was <laughs> yes. I was browsing through the food pictures. Yeah, I just saw him licking the screen. So yeah, I'm, uh, I'm actually my mouth is watering. <laughs> yes. Okay, so apart from uh, that, I obviously uh, just explained that so minutes. much, uh, but I still wanted to hear your perspective. What do you believe makes your space special? Mm. This is a this is an interesting one because I mean what's so special about my house compared to any other house? Um, I think it's the feeling of that welcoming feeling that you will get when you come in. Um, a lot of people talk about the vibration of my space. I am very deeply um, I, I, I have a huge passion in feng shui, and I I actually redid the whole space. I have torn everything out, and I followed feng shui principles and I worked really hard on the flow of the of the space. And mm -hmm. so I have people coming and going, there's something very healing about this space. And it just came to me over time as I renovated the house. I want this to be more than just for me. I actually want this to be um, an open house. I just felt very strongly drawn towards that. And it's funny because I found out that the numerology of my house is number nine. Oh, that's the, the, the highest uh, vibration, the highest from, vibration. The, yes. from the one-digit numbers. Yes. He's also nine, by the way. Yeah, and they say uh, in the number nine house, you will have many visitors. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really funny because many different people have walked through my doors and they just come and they keep coming. Um, and it's a place that's attracting, um, I'm attracting all kinds of people and I'm finding that people enjoy coming and staying. Um, and that's very much following the numerology of the number nine house. So I feel like in a way I'm, I'm also flowing with the process of that this house has come into my sphere and it has a purpose. It has, it's trying to perform a role and I am, you know, then putting the word out there. This can be more than just a home. This can be a space of gathering. This can be a space of healing or this can be a space of us sitting and talking together in a supportive environment. <clears throat> so I think that's what, and the word sanctuary house, how it also came to me. I actually talked to Martha about it. I didn't have a name. And she and I brainstormed over the name. It, it started off from kitchen sanctuary to sanctuary house. But we both agreed that that name kind of encompassed what the house is. It's a sanctuary. It's a feeling of coming in and, and feeling protected and feeling safe and feeling a sense of flow and, and, and being enveloped in something. Uh, uh, there's a vibration in, in this space. Um, and I think that what's happening now with Martha and I, that we have a very special group that comes in and we do activities that I think only just raises the vibration of that space and, and, and leads it to then fulfill its purpose even more. Um, and I, it's a, there's a destiny to this house that I can't control. The house has a destiny. Uh, I just happen to be uh, very privileged, I think, um, 
in how this is 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 opening up. It's it's yeah. It has its own energy and it's going with that. And I just simply support that as much as I can. Okay, I have to ask then, because you mentioned um, before something about building and renovating. So you found the house that I assume was not in the best shape mm -hmm. and you have remodeled, re renovated it, right? Yes. How did you find the house? I didn't think I would find it. I always had it in my mind. I was always obsessed about getting this one. I wanted a house that allowed me to grow creatively. And mm -hmm. all the houses I went into didn't feel, it, there was never that feeling of expansion or growth, you know. Every mm -hmm. house just felt like an ordinary home where only so much can happen and not more. And so I had given up uh, on the house. And I had told a friend, I, I met a friend at a coffee shop, I was going to sign for another house out in Risco. And I said, you know, the house I'm looking for, Anastasia, doesn't exist. And on my phone, as I said it, the house popped up on Bolisadon. And then I had to stop the conversation and really look at it and go, wait a minute, this is a really quite interesting home in a really good location. And when we walked in, I just immediately felt there's so much you can do here. This is the expansion I was looking for, that feeling of growth and space and expansion. It was all there encapsulated in this house. And the person who had it couldn't sell it for the longest time and took it off the market and then just happened to put it on on the day I was going to sign for something else. And I just felt okay, there's a strong message here. This is really interesting how I've been led into this space. And I merely, it just, I just merely connected with it. This is the space. I found the space. Uh, that your intuition maybe tells you, this is mm -hmm. the space you've been looking for. And so we jumped on that and got that house. And I understood why the house was in trouble. So coming from Asia, we have very strong... Uh, belief in feng shui and we we look at energy and that house had a trapped energy and i could see immediately what were all the no-nos you know the way things had been placed and i just thought okay i will get this and i'll tear everything out and do it the way that i think it should be done and that would raise the um space and it would not be the space that you know that was repelling people but rather attracting um And I, just, I think the house was calling for it, maybe. It was neglected, very neglected, um, left on its own, needing very much for some kind of change. And, and, and I just happened to be the right person there to get that change. Uh, how, how long did it take the whole process of remodeling, re redecorating the house? Was it a long process? It was a long process. It's okay. a large house. Um, and I tore everything out. It took me a year to mm -hmm. get the space yeah, done up. But it was enjoyable. The whole process was, it was challenging, but extremely, it was a good learning process. Uh, but my husband's the, the handyman, and he's mm -hmm. always wanted a project of that nature. So he okay. got exactly what he wanted. So it was a perfect bingo. Yeah. I was about to ask okay. you, where is, when, when everyone comes, and what happened to Thomas? <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah, he's not involved in the events. Uh, this is very much my project. Um, and I have uh, space large enough for him. So there's a whole a living basement. room and <laughs> kitchen and everything downstairs for yeah. him. Okay. So he doesn't at all get involved upstairs. There's, a, there's, a, there's three sections to this house. Right. Literally, it's like three homes in one space. Okay. So I can do anything up there and have the complete privacy. Uh, and there can be a whole section where someone else can be and be very comfortable. So right. So, yeah, I just happened, the layout of this house is really good for events in that sense, to get the privacy for an event upstairs. We, we are coming, that's, 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 yes, that's final, so we are coming. Uh, but uh, just a practical question, it's not like 
Anyone can come at any time, just knock in and, hey, I heard about you on the radio, now I'm here. <laughs> I guess there is some sort of a, maybe booking system sounds a little bit too dry, but there is a way to contact you and arrange those things, right? Yes. How to do it so yes. our listeners will not start to stalk you right. in front of the, the house and try to get in. Yes, so the sanctuary house, what you can do is if you have an event you want to hold, Mm-hmm. And you can use the you can contact me to find out how you could hold the event, and I can provide the menu for an event, um, and and work the space the way you like it to be worked. Um, so that's one way. If you are a person that's been looking for a space to hold your own event, you have a creative idea, you need an event house for it or a space for it. So that that's a sort of a rental and catering service, putting in a businessy yes words. It's so we'll just we'll just partner each other and yeah. run it run the event basically. Yeah. Um, so that's one way. Um, I will be. I think January will be the period where I really launch this house officially, mm-hmm. um, and that's when you will find on the page uh, here are the meditation sessions and here are the yoga lessons. Uh, and hopefully a lot more interesting um, uh, events on top of that. And I actually, the, the original person I had was Martha uh, to host an event with. So I don't know if that might happen in the future, but we might go into um, support circles, uh, um, things like that. So so yeah, just just uh, watch the space and, and you will find events being promoted once in a while and you can sign up for an event and be part of the community. So for the time being, we can find the Sanctuary House on Facebook yes. and we can also find it on Shop Vibes yes. and all the links to the Sanctuary House. And please remember, do not stalk Paula. Don't go there just like that. You have to first contact her. All of this will be in the show notes of uh, of this episode once it's released on the5options.com, which is our virtual house, uh, which you can enter anytime because it's uh, online internet page and uh, one thing that you've mentioned at the end of your speech uh, paula saying that in this way you can become a part of community mm-hmm. so um, i'm really really curious what does community mean to you mm-hmm. i think community is about having a safe space to share with others uh, to be able to talk about your problems and not be judged for it or not be told that you shouldn't have those problems um, I really want to pro- promote, I think it's coming very much from also the background of what I studied and did in my very first job, but I was involved with therapy and counselling. And, and that's very much informing my way of um, building a community. This is a supportive environment for those who are facing a difficult time living in Denmark. And there are many who do face a very difficult time. And would, you know, it's nice for them to be able to meet. I think not, we are not meeting up as much as we should uh, as a community. So we have a wonderful foreign community in Aarhus that talk a lot on forums, mm-hmm. but there's not that many events for them to meet up and do something. And there's not also a lot of very personal events. Like sometimes they might meet up and have a, a coffee at a cafe. That happens. But an event where you actually come into a home and you are getting uh, a home-cooked meal and someone really sharing uh, their culture and their experiences with you in a very open and transparent way, um, there's not enough of that personal touch, I think. And I think something like this is a bit more special. And So the community I'm trying to create is a, is a feeling of home away from home. I think that would be a way to describe it. Um, because we are all living in a foreign place. That's not the easiest weather-wise. It's not the easiest language-wise, uh, culture-wise, or, or policy-wise. 
So it's a safe space, a sanctuary to come to. If you want, you feel I want to get away from it all. I want to sit with others and be able to just talk openly about what I'm going through. Uh, it's a very um, empathic uh, place. So I need to ask that question because we are in 2020. Yes. <laughs> what is important? What what are we? What do we humans need in communities in 2020? Yeah, 2020 has been such a strange year. Um, actually, I think even more so we need connection. Um, more than ever, I think we've started to realize the importance of connection and the importance of, of having a community. Um, and I hope very much that this uh, lockdown or these regulations do ease and people then start to actually you know, look for uh, a place where they can build community. So I'm just hoping that if anything, 2020 stimulates the growth of a community and shows you the value of a community. Yeah, I also want to ask you just a little bit about your cooking. We mm. did talk about it a little bit and we did talk about me <laughs> absolutely loving your cooking. And humming, <laughs> my God. Yes, uh, humming <laughs> when eating. Um, and I'm not a, a hummingbird, <laughs> if you can call it this way. I want to ask you a little bit what cooking means to you. What's special in cooking? So I cook with a lot of intention. Um, I put a lot of love in my food. And I think that translates. I feel like the energy you bring to food translates and gives a person a feeling of being nourished. Um, I have a lot of love for this hobby. It's my hobby and my passion. And so when I cook, it's, um, it's a labor of love that I think just tastes better on the, on the plate. It's compared to going to a restaurant and getting a very um, formal experience maybe or a consumerist business experience you're getting something a person is cooking from their heart and sharing with you something that's really from their heart I think you get a very different experience when you consume that um, and that's what I want to do just this very it's not a business as such it's just my passion that I'm happy to share and so my blog is my way of showcasing what I cook and I get a lot of uh, contacts with people through that and connections with people through that. And so um, so cooking is my therapeutic, my, it's actually therapy for me when I cook, when I have my kitchen and I'm cooking. Um, it's a form of therapy for me, but I want to share the labors of that with others. Mm. So what, what eating this kind of food does for us humans? Because we can hear it's a therapy for you while you cook, which is amazing, and mm. you put your love, intention, energy into it. Yes. So what happens to us when we eat this kind of food? So what I do when I cook is I try to conjure up images of home. Uh, my food is colorful, it's full of spices, it's full of flavors. Um, I am very, I'm, I'm in this cold winter, you know, frozen land, and I'm trying to bring the warm, spicy streets, you know, the, 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 the street food, and the, the, I'm trying to conjure something up with that. And I think it's just nothing but a journey, really, for the person who comes to try to experience it. It's something different than... And, um, it will take you on a bit of a uh, experiential journey with the smells and the flavors and the colors. This is what I'm thinking that that food does is as when, it, when it's being offered to others. If you're cooking from a place of I miss my home and I want to conjure up that home in my food, that person then experiences a bit of your home in that sense. Um, yeah, yeah. So. Paula, thank you so much for today. Thank you for coming here and sharing your experience, sharing your passion, sharing your space and your uh, your food, 
your amazing, amazing food. And all our listeners, go to the5options.com, find out about the Sanctuary House, get in contact with Paula, and like the page also if you want to participate in events in the future. And uh, yeah, we are finishing. We are almost done. And uh, thank you, Paula. You are actually quite extraordinary person. Thank you very much. Yes, you are. Okay. I'm really happy I met you and I'm really happy that you are adopting me because (laughs) I need some nourishing. Thank you very much, everyone. We will hear each other in two weeks. Bye-bye. Bye. We are united.